Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Judy. Thank you, Lucy. Can everybody hear me? Can I lower this? Is that okay? Good. I'm Judy, a compulsive overeater. Hi, Judy. And thanks for having this meeting, and thanks for saying turn off all cell phones. I I, I keep myself anonymous in my profession. And so when I do something like this... uh, you know, with the way the world is in this day and age, um, it, it's just so important to me in meetings like that. If I talk at a meeting and I see people using cell phones just like at a regular meeting, if I'm a speaker, I let people know that that's okay, but I won't, I'll share in more of a general way because this disease to me is so mm-hmm. private. I mean, this disease for me was about isolation. It wasn't about sharing with you, you know, my innermost secrets and and fantasies and wishes and desires. It was about isolation. And the other thing that this disease was, for me, was about preoccupation. I think that was the highest price I paid, and I think that was the highest price the people in my life paid. And when I think about the amends, that was the biggest amends I needed to make was because I was so preoccupied. It was, and, and so there was preoccupation and then the other defect of character that I think was a through line for me with this disease was um, reluctance. I was always reluctant, you know. I was always... Uh, just reluctant to take direction or follow rules or uh, eat the way a normal person would eat. Um, so anyhow, you know, I'm a compulsive overeater. Uh, my name's Judy McCarr, and I have 28 years and seven months of continuous abstinence. And I came in here in 1979. And I came in on uh, a thing that we called gray sheet, which was kind of like a diet. You know, there was a lot of measuring. And um, and when I came in in 1979, and if you do the math, it took me a while to get abstinent because I was anorexic. I was bulimic. I was bulimic non-purge. I was bulimic purge. Uh, you know, I did everything imaginable when it comes to eating disorders. Just everything imaginable. Um, And so when I came into the program in 1979, the reason I have 28 years and seven months of continuous abstinence, and I'm also in another program for 29 years as of July, um, I was reluctant, you know, and I wasn't honest and I wasn't open and I wasn't willing. Really, when I first came in here, I wasn't. I was always trying to find an easier, softer way. Now, has that changed? You know, two weeks ago, I have a sponsor, and I work the steps, and, you know, I uh, sponsor women, and I pray and meditate, and I stay very close to the program, and I've had a 
service commitment since uh, soon after I got abstinent. I've had a service commitment consistently. I always thank the speaker no matter what, whether I like the speaker or not, because that's how I was trained. Um, so two weeks ago, you know, I'm looking at my food and I'm thinking, there's got to be a way to put these portions together where it's a portion. But the problem was it was like about five portions. So I'm staring at this food and I'm thinking, there's got to be a way to make this work. So what I've learned is it's the first compulsive bite that gets me started, or the first compulsive need to use a laxative, or the first compulsive need to go on a diet, or the first compulsive need to exercise excessively, or the first compulsive need to think about some kind of a something that's going to make me lose or gain weight or alter me or make me hungry or make me less hungry. Or And I called my sponsor because that's how I've been trained. You know, I've been trained when something like that is going on to call my sponsor. It's so basic. It's like the, it's like the line that comes between me and that first compulsive behavior. And that is call my sponsor. Well, I call my sponsor, you know, and my sponsor's all proud of me that I didn't compulsively overeat. And I'm kind of shocked. And that's another thing that I think is shocking to me to this day. I'm highly educated, by the way, so self-knowledge avails me nothing. Highly educated, folks. Doesn't do a darn bit of good. You know, so I call my sponsor, and I tell my sponsor, oh, you know, that's so great. I'm so proud of you. Look at yourself. You did not overeat. And I'm thinking... Wow, you know, that's amazing. I get credit for that. And then two days later comes the tsunami of feelings. The tsunami of feelings, you know. And, and then the next action, which means I had to make some changes. And if I track it back, it all started with that one moment where I wanted to make five portions into one portion, which, you know, I, when, I was, when I was into my disease, I would have done that, you know. And then I'd be, another thing that I, I'm still shocked by as far as being a compulsive reader is my capacity to be shocked. <laughs> I mean, really. It's shocking. My capacity to be shocked is shocking. Like, if I'll, you know, be on the borders of, you know, eating, eating the, the larger quantities of my abstinent food, I'm always shocked by the weight gain. It's, like, shocking to me, you know, and because and and I'll, I'll think, oh, God, you know, you're looking so good. You're looking great. You know, you're going to what the heck is this about? And then I look back at what I did, you know. I weigh once a week. Every Wednesday morning I weigh. And not, I get on there, and that's it. I don't get on 30, 40, 50, 60 times, go to the bathroom, run to the gym, sweat, get under the covers, you know, take some salt tablets, get back on. It's one time, folks. I get on, that's it, you know. I still jiggle a little bit, you know, like this. <laughs> that's as far as that goes, though, because it doesn't mean, you know, I get to, like, uh, weigh later on in the day. But what I'm always shocked about is my capacity to be shocked about this disease which I have and I'm always shocked you know I'm shocked that that I would you know have have something that's abstinent and I found this something and this is like two weeks ago or three weeks ago and uh and uh and and, I'll, and I had to commit to my sponsor okay I'll have this once a week you know and then and then I thought well there's got to be a way to make a substitute of this so it wouldn't be that but it would be a substitute which is close but it's not that and 
<laughs> I call my sponsor. And what happens when I call my sponsor? Well, I stay abstinent because she wants to know, you know, what are you feeling? Let's work the stats. So as a result, I am abstinent because I have three meals a day, nothing in between. That's what I have, you know. I was in Austria two years ago. I had to do some business in Austria. I'm in Austria. I did not sleep for like four days. I swear. People say, no, that's not possible. It's not physically possible. It's physically possible. And then, you know, I'm going to all these shops in Austria. I don't know if anybody knows about Austria and their kind of way they do food, but it's pretty buttery. <laughs> and it comes from my history. You know, my grandmother was a dietitian at Drexel Tech. And in my, my family, food was how you spoke. If you ask me, what was what language did your family speak food? We spoke food. So... You know, I'm in Austria, I'm not sleeping, and, and I went to a meeting, and I swear to God it wasn't OA, but they have all sorts of meetings everywhere in the world, and that night I slept, and I didn't touch that stuff that would have taken me out of my trip, and what would have happened is I would have been preoccupied. I would have been preoccupied the whole time with the next time we go to a certain restaurant, the next time. And instead, I get to be with my husband and in my life, and have my feelings, and my feelings are alarm systems to make change in my life. You know, as a result, even two weeks ago, and again, I say this because I'm like 28 years and seven months, and I'm always shocked by the transformation this program gives me. I'm always shocked. And I had to have a couple discussions with people, and things worked out. Things are good. Things went better. Things are surprisingly beautiful and wonderful and intimate and close and I don't have to isolate. And I don't also have to be ashamed of how I feel and what I think. You know, I think, my God, I, I'm 61 years old. I should have some of these feelings and yet when I have them, it transforms my life when I'm able to not do what I used to do 28 and a half years ago which is eat them. So I'm from Pennsylvania, you know, I've weighed like, I weighed like 89, as I said, I weighed 145, I came from Pennsylvania, you know, my family had the communication of food, um, I was thinking about talking tonight and how I remember, you know, I, I remember there's one, one moment I remember that really defines my compulsive overeating, you know. I lived in Pennsylvania. I wanted to change. And in order to change, I thought what I need to do is get an education. And in my family, that is not what you did. You didn't get an education. You just didn't do that. You got married to the guy, whoever it was, from high school that, you know, worked at a steel mill or somewhere close to that. You got married. You had a bunch of kids, and you did not leave home. You just didn't do that. And I looked around and I thought, you know, I don't want to do this. So what do I do? I have to get an education. So I, you know, I went to Penn State and I uh, got all these scholarships, you know, and not for being bright, but for not having resources. And uh, I know it is funny. Uh, I was so preoccupied with food as a kid. God, it killed my education as a kid. I'm not saying it does that to everybody, but it did it to me, you know. When they had a bake sale, that I remember those bake sales. 
like it was yesterday. <laughs> I swear to God, I was I would always misbehave as a kid in school because I was very bored and there was a lot of things going on at home that weren't that great. So I would go there to have like a comedy show. And uh, I, boy, I remember when they had those bake sales, though, I was alert. Oh, boy, I was so good. Oh, yeah, I'm sitting up straight all day. I never got in one bit of trouble those days we had those bake sales. And then they'd call my name, Judy. And I remember it was like walking down the red carpet, you know. I remember, oh, my God, I hope, that, I hope not everybody bought that one thing I like. And I'd get up there and I'd start shaking, you know. Because food was everything to me. Everything. Everything. And yet, you know, I was getting D's in school and they were having to beg to pass me on to the next grade. Um, anyhow, I go to Penn State. You know, I'm a cleaning lady in order to get through Penn State. So I get up in the morning, I clean houses, I'm getting through Penn State. I'm going to change this thing, you know, because I was, again, from a family, a lot of alcoholism, a lot of compulsive overeater. My parents loved me. I love my mother was an amazing woman. You know, she always had people at the house and food everywhere, and we always had company and tons of people around constantly, you know. And I, so I go to Penn State, and I think, well, I'm going to change this life of mine. You know, I don't want this life. And little did I know back then that this life that I was running from had an enormous amount to do with addiction. But I didn't know that. You know, I just thought, I'll do something different. I looked on the map, and I saw that California was as far as you could go on the continent. I put an ad in the paper, girl wants to go to California, and the math teacher and I drove out here in a Carmen Ghia. <laughs> now, this was long ago where, you know, I, I would set my hair. We slept in, you know, I don't know, the snow one night in this Carmen Ghia, and I would put my hair in rollers, you know, because I always wanted my hair to be straight. And uh, so I get, I get out here from, you know, Pennsylvania, and I'm going to change my life. Now, I have my education, you know, I graduate, magna cum laude, everything is going to be different. Very soon thereafter, like seems like five minutes, I end up married. I'm living in Manhattan Beach. I have a daughter. And I find myself, he's a musician trying to find himself. And I'm, you know, helping him try to find himself. <laughs> you know, I was into the food. And that food goes a long way for being a doormat. Long way. Some of them find themselves, but when I wanted to go out and have a good time at night, you know, I would get a babysitter, and I would go over there, and I'd get all dressed up, and I would go to this ice cream and candy shop. <laughs> and I would sit there with the owner and have hot fudge sundaes and commiserate. And I'd sit there until that place closed. I was there until after hours, and I would talk to that man and tell him about my problems and have a hot fudge sundae. I'd be really upset, you know, and I'd have a babysitter, and I'd go there, and I'd just talk to him, and I'll tell you, that is one of the best memories I have. <laughs> I swear to God, I love that man, you know, and he'd give me hot fish Sundays, and I'd sit there and talk about my problems, and then I'd go home, and my ex-husband would come home, and uh, he knew he had to bring me a hot fudge Sunday. And that's what he would do, you know, and then I would shut up. I shut up. That's what I did. I just shut up. You know? I was working full-time, came out here. I was had a full-time job, had a kid. 
And I looked around and I thought, what did I do? I moved all the way out here. I was actually had a cleaning service as part of my being, you know, a side, side job to support my daughter and my life. And I'm thinking, what did I do? Well, I'm, I'm working at this just one job and this lady says to me what what are you doing at night and this is where my life turned around and she said what are you doing at night and I thought oh god I am busted and uh you know she she said she said you're really sick you know you're really sick and I think I have a place where I can take you where you might get some help and that place was Overeaters Anonymous so this woman brought me into Overeaters Anonymous, and I would go over to Sundowners meeting, and I was on gray sheet at that time, and, you know, she wanted me to do a four-step, and she wanted to know how was I powerless over food? How was my life unmanageable? How did I come to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity? How did I turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand God? And how do I write a fearless searching moral inventory of myself and then share it with her, myself, and, you know, my higher power? And I did start on that journey, but I didn't, I, I, I again wanted to find an easier, softer way. So I sort of, you know, I, I really don't think at that point I thought my life was so unmanageable. I thought I could manage my relationship with food. So I kind of, you know, was on the borders of the program, really. You know, I really was. I wasn't, I did not concede to my innermost self that my relationship food has rendered my life unmanageable. And, you know, so it took me this long in order to really get it, you know. And I remember Christmas time, 28 and a half years ago, you know, my friend uh, Leslie Kay was, we were really dear friends, and I was back, going back to Pennsylvania, and I binged and I threw up a piece of broccoli, and Leslie said, you're not abstinent, and I, you know, and I said, yes, I am, you know, and she said, you know, you're so dishonest, you're dishonest. And so at that moment, I did concede to my innermost self that my life was unmanageable and I really did come into OA and I turned my will and my life over to the care of OA and my higher power and I started working the steps. And it's been 28 years and 7 months of, i got to say, really a great life. You know, I'm free from the bondage of self. Even when I have those little episodes, I have a map. I know exactly where to go. I know exactly what to do. And thank you, God, one day at a time I'm actually willing to do that. Because I was so willful, and my will did did me a lot of good in life. But I was so willful, always trying to find an easier, softer way. So I come into the program, you know, and I'm telling people, oh, you know, my life's unmanageable, and I do a four-step, and I look at how much of my life I was so preoccupied. What am I going to eat? When am I going to eat it? And what I noticed is, you know, I fantasized a lot of times when I compulsively overate. Like all of a sudden, you know, in my four step, I realized I would think, "Oh my God, I'm so I'm this and I'm that and all these things I'm not." But when I ate, I thought that I would feel this just a great deal of power in the world. And you know, I remember early abstinence. I would get up in the middle of the night and I'd stand in front of the refrigerator and I'd cry like a baby. It's like, what am I going to do? I can't eat. You know, can't go in right the refrigerator. You know, and, and it was just so devastating because that's what I used to get through life. You know, 
And as a result, you know, my ex-husband and I, and, you know, I know this tape is public, and I see him. See him. My daughter just got married, and uh, I see him. And, uh, you know, uh, that, that thing had to end. That thing had to end. And it did. <laughs> it did. It was good for me and him. It ended. That needed to end. There were other things that needed to end, too. You know, my dad, my dad uh, was very dependent on me. That ended. That ended. You know, I was uh, always trying to help my sister out, you know. That ended. I, I was willing to help my sister. I was willing to help people if they were willing to help themselves. But I was not willing to compromise myself. And that goes on to this day. To this day. And that is a direct result of me not compulsively overeating and knowing that my life is unmanageable if I turn to the food. Because my, when I did my fourth step, you know, anyhow, that willfulness, you know, so many diets when I was young and so many just, you know, just all the, all the tricks of the trade as far as, you know, trying to change my being behind food. Um, and so when I got abstinent, what I noticed is my relationships were changing. As my relationship with food changed, my relationships with people changed. And I had a courage that I hadn't had before. And I remember I wanted to do something with my life, and my sponsor told me to go ahead and do it. And I said, I'm too scared. She goes, well, just do a little bit of it. You know, just take the little baby step. Just take a wee little baby step. And I took a little baby step, and then I took another step. And that's kind of how I live my life. And because I didn't have so much courage as I thought I had when I put the food down. And so I took these teeny little baby steps, and I noticed my life changing so, so very much. I became single. For the first few years of sobriety and abstinence, I was single, and I was also sober. Um, so I didn't have anything to fix it at night, because when I got so uh, abstinent early on, I noticed that my big book in the morning sometimes had turn spots on it, and I hadn't remembered what I was reading. So I turned myself into another program as well. But um, I noticed my life was changing. I noticed my relationships were changing. Five and six, I gave my, my fourth away. And six and seven, I look at, am I entirely ready? That's a big one. Entirely ready. You know, entirely ready to have God remove my defects of character. And sometimes my defects of character were really, truly about me not taking care of myself. So I did those wee teeny little steps which took great courage and I got into this career that I wanted to get into probably all my life. All my life. But it happened only like one little teeny step at a time. It didn't happen like some big, magnificent, you know, uh, parting of the Red Seas. It happened through those, how I do this program. I show up one day at a time. I stay absent one day at a time. I get up in the morning, I say my prayers, I do my meditation. I talk to my babies. I do this one day at a time, and great change takes place. So am I, am I, am I hum, can I ask God to humbly remove my shortcomings as well? I think that's a big one. The shortcomings for me come in the form of sometimes it's reasonable, hoping situations weren't, aren't the way they are, and they are. You know, there are things that happen in the world that, that are not good, that are scary, 
And, and I used to eat over that kind of stuff. Or I used to try to change something that I couldn't. And I think the use of force really gave me a false sense of power. You know, like I could use force in situations. I could make things happen. And there were a lot of things I could not make happen. And, and there's something very important about that, that sense of surrender for me. Because I was constantly conjuring up and manipulating different ways to make things happen. And that, look at the food. That was the same thing I did with the food, you know. I'm going to be this thin, or I'm going to eat this and that's not going to happen, or I'm going to eat all this, you know, sugar and not feel like I'm in a diabetic coma. You know, I mean, I would try to make things happen that were sometimes not possible. And the serenity prayer and humbly asking God to remove my shortcoming to make things these things happen have given me an enormous amount of peace and grace. And, and also have made it so I don't have to go and compulsively overeat over what I'm truly powerless over. One of which was my sister. My sister was a compulsive overeater. My sister was also an alcoholic. You know, when I got abstinent early on, I took my daughter back to uh, Washington, D.C., and my husband, and we saw my sister, and my sister, I, I have memories of my sister with that pork she was making for everybody for, for dinner. She had this knife, it's like 7 o'clock in the morning, and she's stabbing the pork. She's mad at everybody because everybody didn't get up on time. She's mad at her daughter because her daughter didn't put the right barrettes in her head. She's all mad at me, you know. She, she's a compulsive overeater. She's going to serve this big meal, and everybody's supposed to be happy. And I told my husband and my daughter when we went there, because this is how I learned to take care of myself. I said, if I tell you to get in the car, <laughs> that means get in the car. So we were all sitting there, and it's 7 o'clock in the morning, and I told my daughter and my husband, do not unpack. And it's 7 o'clock in the morning, and my sister starts doing that to her pork, and I looked at my daughter and my husband, and I said, get in the car. And we got in the car. And I went out and got myself a hotel room with my daughter and my husband, and we had a nice swimming pool, and we had a good old-fashioned time, and we went to museums, and I went back to my sister's house at 7 o'clock that night, and she served that pork. And she was in a blackout. So I sat there, and we left, and I tried to talk to her. And God loved my sister, you know. I told her, I, I'll do anything to help you if it's going to help you. But this I will not do. This I will not do. If you need the help, I will, do, I will go to any length to help you. But this I will not do. Because I would have been in the food. That's what happened to me. I would have been in the food, you know. I would have binged and been fine with it and all that chaos, you know. I was civil. I was respectful. That's what I've learned. Be civil and respectful. We left. Had a good trip, you know. In abstinence, you know, I, I've done my amends to the best of my ability. Some of my amends I was unable to make. There's a woman named Kathy Buckles. I was staying at her house. I was, I don't know, 20 years old. She woke up. The scalloped potatoes were gone. I ate them all. At 3 o'clock in the morning, I would get up to somebody's house and 
wipe out their refrigerator and get up the next day and go, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I don't know how that happened, you know. wasn't me. You know, I was the only guest. <laughs> you know, I don't steal food today. I don't take what's not mine. Um, so, but you know, I've made it. I made a lot of amends, and and uh, you know, when promptly wrong, you know, when wrong promptly admitted, and I take a daily inventory, and uh, you know, I I met a guy. I had about six years of abstinence. I'm married 22 years to this man, and he's in the program, and we have a life beyond my wildest dreams. You know, we really do, and you know, so you know, fast forward, my uh, you know, I'm. I, I go to meetings. I started a meeting. You know, as far as 11 and 12, I pray, I meditate. You know, I have a God of my own understanding. As far as the 12 step, you know, I started a meeting. I started a meeting, I don't know, maybe six or five years ago. Right now, it's a 9.30 Saturday morning meeting over at uh, Mount Olive Church. And, you know, we're two or more gathered together. And I go to meetings all over the world. I started, I went to Croatia, and they don't have meetings there. I was trying to sort of get some meetings started there, but that was really complicated. And uh, um, I've had meetings on airplanes. Um, you used to be able to say on the airplane, is there any friend of Bell W's? And people would come meet you in the back of the airplane. Now they'd probably, you know, tie you up or something. But, um, uh <laughs> Anyhow, you know, so I am so grateful to be asking it, but fast forward, you know, so so my so so I started this meeting and I went to Claire Foundation. I rented, you know, Claire Foundation. I sat there for one year, you know, as secretary, and and I was like, people would come and have mercy meetings with me, you know, there would be like one person or two people, and I'd tell my husband, I'm so. I'm so glad there's this meeting. And, and he'd go, like, the truth is you look really depressed. What's wrong? You know, I'd be like, well, I was the only one there with one more person. And it was like a mercy meeting, you know. But I kept showing up. And then we moved it to the VRC. And then more people came. And now, years later, like, that's, that's like a nice meeting. And that's how this program works. I cannot do this alone. I can't do this alone. So, you know, but six years abstinence, I meet my husband, I get married, my daughter's grown up. Last year, you know, my daughter shows me this picture of a guy she meets on Match.com, turns out this guy's in the program. I'm all like, oh my God, that's so exciting. I didn't tell her I knew he was in the program because of anonymity, but I'm thinking this is so cool. She likes his eyes. And, uh, you know, she goes, oh, Mom, look how beautiful his eyes are. And I'm like, yeah, they're beautiful. I'm thinking, oh, good, go for it. <laughs> Anyhow, you know, she married him in April. We had a nice big wedding. Got all these, you know, grandchildren. Now not her so much. I have a couple of stepsons, so I'm a grandmother. And I do have a life beyond my wildest dreams. Here's the sad news. This is the sad part. You know, my de beloved sister did not make it. She did not make it. She didn't make it, you know, but I got to be of service, you know, couldn't even get her out of the hospital because she owed them money. And, and, you know, we're talking about, I mean, she was dead and I was able to help, you know, I was able to help get her out of that hospital and give her a nice memorial and be of service to my family. You know, not everybody makes it and I'm so grateful that I've made it and, I, I, and I'm so grateful that I have been willing. And that's the big one. Am I willing? I never get too big. 
never do I get too big. And I stay close so I don't get too big. Because if I didn't stay close like I do, my disease would take me on a, on a mission, and not one that I would like. And I'd like to open it up for questions. That's it. Uh, the question is, uh, I wasn't willing in program to get abstinent, and then I became willing. Uh, it got so painful. It got so painful because, as I said, I, I went back to Pennsylvania. I was pretending like I had a program. I really didn't. I didn't have a defined abstinence. I overate over here. I mean, I think I overate down here, down the street. Um, uh, <laughs> and and when I got back from Pennsylvania and I saw that I I did throw up, and I didn't take care of myself back in Pennsylvania as I planned. I conceded through a good friend of mine that said, you know, you're not honest to my innermost self that I needed to get abstinent. And I surrendered to this program, and I've stayed surrendered for 28 years and seven months. Thank you, God, one day at a time, one moment at a time. It came from incomprehensible demoralization. What is my spiritual practice today? Well, I get up in the morning and I meditate. And I try to listen to God. I try to listen, what do you have to say to me? What do you want me to hear? What do I need to hear? And so I meditate. I have three dogs. They usually meditate with me. Um, I have a picture of my six-month-old grandson with my meditating with me. <laughs> I taught my daughter how to meditate when she was little. Um, if there's anybody willing, I'll have them do it with me, meditate, just like karaoke. People do mercy karaoke with me, mercy karaoke. If anybody's willing, I always have them do that with me. Um, meditate. I meditate, and then I get down on my knees and I pray. And I say some prayers that there was a man named Stilson Snow. He said this prayer, and that is, God, I pray for the knowledge of your will for me, the power to carry that out and conceal the rest. I asked God to teach me safely. When I was really abstinent, not, well, was I, yeah, I was really abstinent, my sister came out, and I dropped a tea kettle on my foot. She was saying some things to me that were so not right, and I ended up in the burn unit for a month. And it was really because I didn't tell her, you ought not say that. I, I was really early abstinent. So I pray to God that he teaches or she teaches me safely. Safely. That's the key. Safely. I don't want to bang into the, you know, stop sign in order to see it there. That's uh, what could happen. So I pray, and then I read my daily reflections. And I have three of them, and I have all these notes in them, you know, from everywhere I've been in the world and what I've been doing and where my daughter lived and who was visiting. And I read my three daily reflections. Then I go outside and I have a bird bath and my dogs and I go outside and I feed the birds and I do believe that is an act of God because I love these little little birds. I pray throughout the day. I uh, pray throughout the day. I connect with God. I ask God during the day to, to show me God's way. I think of spiritual practices. The first three steps for me, I believe it's what what's my choice really. I have no choice really. So I ask God to reveal to me, you know, what action I'm supposed to take. 
Sometimes I write inventory if something's kind of, you know, confusing me or stopping me. To me, that's a spiritual experience and practice. Uh, I go through the day. At night, I always pray before I go to sleep, before I go to bed. And I think about, you know, was there anything I needed to change today? Did I need to do anything differently? Is there anything I need to talk with? I write thank you cards. I love thank you cards. I think thank you cards are a spiritual experience as well. Um, I love my husband. I love my children. I love my home. I do what I'm supposed to do. I think that's a spiritual experience, just cleaning up after myself. I hate hanging things up. I hate hanging things up, but I do. That's about it. I come here. Uh, the question is, uh, I mentioned that I keep anonymity in my work and how that works for me. Is that correct? Is that the question? Well, you know, <sighs> you know, I was, why am I here? You know, I would go to Dolores's and get a pie, and then I'd go to Baskin Robbins and have some ice cream, and then I'd run around and throw it up, and then I'd go get some donuts, and then I'd go get some cookies, and then I'd throw it up, and then I'd, you know, uh, eat ice cream, and then I'd look up a diet, and then I'd call a hospital program and see if I couldn't go there, and then I'd clean it up the next day, and I wouldn't compulsively overeat, and then I'd be really proud of myself, and then I'd want credit, and then I'd be thinking, what do you think of my body, and that's what I was thinking about, and then I wouldn't love it, and then I'd... I don't want to share that with people I work with. <laughs> you know, I just so and and I've been in I've been in situations in my profession where you know I mean we all we all understand. I mean, recently I was thinking this today. You know, two times recently this week, a doctor told somebody, "Oh, you don't need OA." You don't need OA. They told somebody that, and I think, oh my God, these professionals, you gotta, you gotta know. But I don't want any credit for this. I don't want any credit. I shouldn't get professional credit for being here and being willing not to jam my face and addictively eat one day at a time. So I don't want any credit. So that's why in my profession, I keep it on the down low. I want to save my myself and I want to be here and and that's that. <laughs> <laughs>